Hi, this is Elise Wakerman, uh, the author of the recently published novel, A Tale of Two Citizens, and I'm going to be talking today to my friend and uh, also a writer, Mona Houghton. Mona and I have walked together and talked together and both been writers, and she also has a, a wonderful um, volume out of two novellas called Frotage, and even as we speak, and these are two beautiful novellas that have been published in one volume by What Press. And in addition to walking and talking and writing, Mona and I also uh, have in common that we were colleagues, um, teachers at the Creative Writing and English uh, Department, or the Creative Writing Division of the English Department uh, at California State University, Northridge. So I kind of wanted to start our discussion about just sharing thoughts on what it's like to both write and teach, and especially sort of specifically teaching creative writing, and wondering, Mona, if you could start us off by just reflecting on how being a teacher of uh, uh, college students and all that that demands affects your writing process. Thank you for that nice introduction, Elise. And um, before I go quite there, I'd like to say how much, uh, what a great surprise and how wonderful it was to read A Tale of Two Citizens, um, a real present to all of us readers. Um, as to creative writing and teaching, I think it has um, great upsides because it sort of keeps you on the ball as to what is currently going on, and I feel that's one's job as a teacher is to stay on top of that. Um, it's very time-consuming and takes as much commitment as it does to, to um, write a story or a novella or a novel, as I'm sure you'll agree. Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. um, you know it it and so it but the pluses far outweigh the uh the uh the, the the time commitment but um what i appreciate most is that it keeps me on the lookout for what is really currently going on in the current in the world, uh, yeah publishing market you know that's one of the things to toot my own horn a little bit which you know we're just going to be tooting away here which will be just great <laughs> Something that I came to realize as, a, of course, I continue to buy current fiction and read it, is it seems to be a trend which I just anticipated without, you know, any um, calculation to it when I divided the book into um, alternating voices and consciousness of the two, the two main characters. Um, the, Im the illegal immigrant and the immigration official. And this seems to be a trend in current day fiction of alternating, not really points of view, but like uh, subjective consciousness. So you're getting into the head of, um, you know, two characters on different sides of the same experiences. So I was. Well, that that's one of the fun. things I would. Oops. That's one of the things I'd really like to talk about in the in the book is is that you do that you shift the consciousness of the narration so successfully and and it's never done in a jarring fashion and it um, and it sort of weaves together to make the story uh, ring true in the sense that both both those segments of the book the the and you do it also with Poland New York and 
the character Will and the character Harry, who also goes by his Yiddish name. Help me here. Yankel. 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 Yes. Yankel. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and we get to... We oh, get to you can hear... call him Harry. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but, but, but the, you have those consciousnesses going on and the cities going on. What's going on in Poland politically in the big picture of the, of the, of, of the oncoming uh, anti-Semiticism that's going to be happening. And in America... Also, the anti-Semiticism and the effects of the war and the effects of the Depression, uh, World War, after World War One and preceding World War Two, and including the Depression, from New York to Iowa. I mean, it, it, you, you, when one thinks about the novel, one sees this huge swath of history and time taking place, but because you make it intimate through the use of the characters, it doesn't, uh, it's not overwhelming at all. That's great. That's great. You know, I've always been kind of attracted to that decade, the 1930s. I just think it was so incredibly rich with, as you said, politics and cult. You know, you had Gershwin at the same time that you had the rising goose step of uh, Hitler. And, right. Uh, you know, Amazing. Fred and Ginger at the same time. You know, so, and the Depression and, the, and also the weather in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it just it's such a rich time, and it just so happens that the story that I wanted to tell um, takes place during that decade. So it was, uh, you know, and ahead. it's a story we don't often hear in terms of we hear about what happened once anti-Semitism was, you know, hard put into Poland, but we don't hear what what sort of the the leading up to it, the, the, the leading preceding. Up to it. And, and um, I think we've also, you know, we've there have been books and movies, um, Call It Sleep and Hester Street about when people think of Jewish immigrant stories, they think of the early part of the 20th century. But I'm not right. sure that the, you know, the period preceding the Holocaust is, you know, uh, ever uh, has that we've ever seen a person just coming to this country because maybe he has a vague sense. I think I say at one point that mm-hmm. he always was able to fix things and he thinks the thing that's getting to be broken right now is Poland itself. And so he really just intuits that it's time to get out and to come to America. And so uh, uh, an immigrant in the United States during that period of uh, 1930s is something I don't think we've seen, and that's one of the things that really drew me to want to tell this story, um, because there was, you know, there was the whole thing about the land of milk and honey, which is kind of cliche, and then they come and there's a depression. Right, right, exactly. And you also, I think, the the impulse to immigrate that Harry has, and many people like him at that time, is all I, we see that happening uh, today to some extent. Um, people coming for a better life, leaving things behind that they love, people that they love, and mm-hmm. um, a- how they integrate into their new life with those strings that tie back to the previous life, the, the life in the other country, and and how um, really uh, heartbreaking it is to have that. To have that struggle, that pull forward, you want to, that, that the character wants to move, or the person wants to move forward with their life, but there's this this anchor back to this other world, 
that of course. isn't so positive and gets progressively less positive um, becomes a real uh, uh, moral and uh, uh, mental battle for them. Yes, because there's all those emotional ties. I think something that's interesting that's kind of changed and, and because, of course, Another thing that drew me, not only the 1930s, but the 2010s, because there's such a similarity in the attitudes about immigrants and about immigration. Of course, we've seen it most recently. It's most regrettable out of the mouth of Mr. Trump. Um, but, you know, I think yes. a, large, a large segment of our uh, American citizenry really resents people coming over, even though we're, we are a nation of immigrants. There's a wonderful quote by Ron Chernow, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He wrote the book Hamilton, about Alexander Hamilton, uh, the person responsible largely for our system of capitalism. He was the first United States Treasurer and our United States Secretary of the Treasury. Right. And he himself, of course, all the founding fathers, it's so amazing were immigrants, right? <laughs> they came here, or or maybe their parents came here, but they had didn't really originate in the United States. And we are a nation of immigrants. And he has this wonderful line because uh, the huge Broadway musical that is uh, now in previews in New York um, by Lin Manuel Miranda uh, called Hamilton, the musical, and it's uh, you know the big thing about it, or, or you know the big. Um, unique characteristic of that musical is that it's the founding father's story told in hip-hop, and which connects again. It connects the 2010s to, in this case, hundreds of years ago. But anyway, Ron Chernow says that American history is the saga of outsiders becoming insiders. Of the marginal, isn't that great? Of the marginal and dispossessed becoming welcomed as citizens. And um, so when I came upon the idea for the story, which I'll talk about a little in a little bit, um, not only do I love the 1930s, but it resonated so completely with attitudes that are going on now and the kind of push-pull and the resentment. And um, it's really not a pretty picture at all because, as I said, we all have this in common. Uh, right. except for African-Americans who didn't come here willingly, and that, of course, is a whole other fissure in our national consciousness that we're still trying to repair. Um, but so so the immigration issue, I, I realized that this book was also very timely, that this story was very timely. Right. And um, as I think I've mentioned to you, it was inspired when, um, you know, I wrote this book called Father Loss, several years ago about... Another about great novel I might insert. Well, it's actually, it's a study, really. Thank you very well, much. Right. Um, right. Exactly. And it, right. And it was based on the fact that I grew up without a father and trying to understand what the impact is of on a girl because although a father absence is much written about starting with Freud uh, and its effect on boys, but daughters of uh, father-absent homes uh, were never, there was no literature. There was no way for me to understand the impact of that void. And so I wrote that book. And 
Um, and then when my mother died, I found among her things all these papers that were from my father. And that's where I saw the deportation hearing. I mean, he was actually the subject of a congressional deportation hearing, like in 1939 in the United States of America. They wanted to deport this Polish Jew out of the country. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of the, you know, the ultimate image of how um, determined they were to keep the country, quote-unquote, pure for, quote-unquote, Americans. But when I found this, I just thought, oh, my goodness, this, you know, this father that I've always kind of idolized and longed for had an amazing story. So, of course, I turned it into fiction because I had to just imagine the surrounding um, circumstances, all the characters are fictitious. Um, but just the framework of this young lad coming to America with all kinds of hopes and dreams and because of uh, circumstances, finding himself in a whole heap of trouble. It's kind of a David and Goliath story in that way, you know, just this one guy trying to keep his head down and lead a nice little life and build a life for uh, his family, who are still back in Poland, um, getting in a lot of trouble with the government. Right, right. And that's that present tense of wanting to be pulled forward and everything sort of pushing against him at that point for the mm -hmm. character and for your father. <laughs> right, right. Well, at a certain point, I did have to uh, let... In fact, you know, one of the hardest things about writing this, and uh, Jeff, who you know well, that's my husband for listeners, um, he, when he read the very first draft, he said that Yankel, who becomes Harry, didn't seem really 20. He, I needed to work on making him younger, like a young man. And that's where the real, one of the real tests of turning an actual experience into fiction was tested and challenged because my memory and my idealization of my father had him at about 40 years old. You know, so, uh, that's he died when he was in his 40s, and that's the only person that I vaguely, vaguely remember. But, of course, I'm telling the story of a 20-year-old kid you yeah. know, who, take, who takes on this challenge of leave, uh, what happens. Uh, I guess I can just set this up a little bit, um, is that he is about to embark, and he has filled out his visa. The only way the United States quota system allowed people in at that point in the, we're talking about now the very last year of the 1920s is when he came, um, was you had to be the child of an American citizen, and his father was already here, and you had to be, so you had to be under 21 years old, the child of an American citizen, and you couldn't be married, because I didn't, I guess I didn't want too much riffraff, <laughs> so they would take <laughs> one person, but not the spouse, and just as, uh, my father, and then uh, his, um, his, uh, the person, the character that he inspired, namely Yonkel, um, is about to embark for the United States. His girlfriend tells him that she's pregnant, and he does the right thing and immediately marries her and puts off his journey, but he does not change his visa because the requirement is that he not be married. So he knew 
that he was uh, flouting the rules and that he might get into trouble, but uh, he had to do the right thing by her, and he certainly, having the impression that things were not going in the right direction in Poland, he still felt that he had to get out. So, and do the um, right thing by his whole family with the right. hopes of bringing bringing everyone them over. over. Yeah, because he is kind of um, an organizer, which <laughs> I guess, you know, maybe I got that from him. <laughs> he, the political <laughs> activism, although he was, you know, as I said, I think he was much more, keep your head down, lead a good and honest and decent life. Um, but it, it didn't uh, work out too well, although I don't want to... Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of hope and a lot of um, possibility, and he took it on. He took it on, but it was not easy. It definitely was not easy. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, you have said that the geography and the timing and things like that you responded to, and uh, I was yes. interested. Yeah. I, 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 should, I want to also point out that in addition to being my walking and talking friend and colleague, you were also uh, the director of my master's thesis. <laughs> so I really care a lot um, at, uh, about what you think about just the actual writing of the book. Well, the, I, I find the writing to be, um, I, I'm, I'm proud to have been part of that process as you came into your own as a writer. And um, I, what, 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 I want to speak about now is the, the, the little pieces of the writing. We, we were talking about the grand things of timing and landscape and whatnot, but the way you, I think that you do a, a, such a wonderful, um, you have such a wonderful touch at bringing in traditions. Uh, Yankel slash Harry comes here and he, you know, he's incorporating in the community he lives in incorporates traditions of the uh, Jewish religion into the day-to-day -day life and, and you sort of, it's slipped into the narrative in this way that lets the reader experience that world. Um, and so while he's still working in America and working with Americans, the whole panoply of what that means, he's still maintaining his, um, keeping in touch with his, his roots which is another wonderful opportunity that people who come to America have is, is you know, we, if people aren't forced in any way, I mean, forced in any way to um, abandon that. And I, and I really appreciate what I learned even about the culture in terms of how you um, um, include that in your story-making process. Um, um, I, I don't want to give the example because it gets too complicated, but there are mm -hmm. um, many instances where you where you do that, and and even how um, the traditions are um, not well modified to some extent because the, the uh, people are in a new environment. Um, uh, the Family associations are woven into the story very well. I think he has an aunt here mm -hmm. that he communicates mm -hmm. with, and there's another mm -hmm. family that he and his father go to visit on the sab on the Shabbats. And, well, they go um, actually on yeah, they go on Sundays. 
which is kind of oh 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 right because his father right so they're wouldn't, in... wouldn't right yeah right it's, right it's they go on Sundays and in, in the day. right and um but 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 there's a regularity to the to the getting togethers and uh, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that these side characters are woven into the story and we get a full picture of the life that um, Harry lived in New York City and his father lived and we feel the father's anxiety who's older and he's left uh, his wife behind and he, he needs to, he wants to connect back in with his family in, in Europe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think that yes, yes, definitely. And he's having second thoughts, even though he is for Harry the kind of representation of of America. You know that his father was so brave, and he was the first member of the family to set out. And also, it's interesting because I think that's a problem that a lot of current day immigrants face, and even more so today. Whereas in the '30s, they were. 40s, they were in 20s, and they were much more into assimilating. And I think beginning perhaps with the 30s, they did want to hold on to their, I mean, they, they certainly much more than today wanted to learn English and, and kind of wear their being Americans with pride, you know. And today right. I think there's a much more um, determined effort to maintain the culture that you can came from and where's that with pride, you know? And I think it's interesting too, and that might be I wanted to talk a little bit about Will, who was the other citizen of the right. title. And I was so happy when I got one of the blurbs on the book said that it was uh the person really appreciated the way I portrayed the Midwest of the nineteen mm-hmm. twenties and thirties because that is the other half of the story. The American um, kind of less welcoming point of view, and um, and also that you know even though Will Brown is a bit of a stubborn little guy, um, he loves this country, and right. feels you know and and he's you know we can say that he's wrongheaded, but he's doing he's he's motivated by good intentions, and right. uh, one of the probably one of the more interesting relationships that forms that uh, is that Harry becomes very attracted to Will's wife. He doesn't know, of course, that this is Will's wife, and she doesn't know, that Barbara doesn't know that that Harry is uh, going to be the subject of a a problem for Will. But anyway, you were going to say something. And the other thing I think that you do a wonderful job with, a wonderful bit of writing with, is Barbara who is this woman who has this potential that is suppressed by her um, the limitations that were put on women at that time mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you and, and she's you know you we feel her resisting that and um, wishing for more out of her, her uh, out of her day to day life and um, and i really I really appreciated that aspect of the novel. You know, the, it, you yeah. cover such a broad bit of history. It's amazing. It's amazing. Thanks, Tony. You know, I, I really fell in love with Barbara. As I, right. You know, I think I've talked about it with you as because, of course, you were kind of somebody I talked to as I was working on the book, which took about six years to write um, <laughs> because teaching is a big um, responsibility. And I always <laughs> felt that, you know, that was, if there was a, a time choice between 
taking a look at 20 short stories that were just handed in or going back to Will and Harry and Ava and Barbara and all my wonderful characters that I made up. Uh, you know, that my students were really my first responsibility. But Barbara, more than... And I actually shared with my students that I was also working on writing at the time, which I think is a nice give and take between creative writing teacher and writer and students. Um, yes. But, but that Barbara almost really personifies the fact, I don't know if this has ever happened for you, but I'm, I would guess that it has, that, that a character can become like their own person and they kind yes. of dictate. Like she took on a much more impor- important role in the story than I would have imagined. I mean, I did imagine her completely, but when I set out to write it, you know, very often people say, do you know how the book is going to end or does it, you know, <laughs> and, and um, I say, you know, I really have a, I have some idea, but I'm open to surprises and no one helps surprise you more than the characters. And, and that brings me to another quote that I just read the other day by E.L. Doctorow, who of course died last week. And he said that he doesn't like to write his novels. He wants his characters to write his novels. And, you know, do you find that well, also? Yeah, yes, I often quote uh, Ron Carlson, who's a very good writing teacher. He's written some books about teaching writing, and he talks about mm-hmm. how he was writing a short story once about a spaceship coming into to a little village or people seeing them in a, in a town in America. And... Um, he always wanted the sheriff to say that the um, that the spaceship was cigar shaped, which apparently sheriffs always say. And he held that idea as this sort of carrot because he wanted it to be the last line of the story, and it was the carrot that drew him through the story. But of course, at the end, the sheriff couldn't say that. But it was still the carrot that pulled him through. So often, I think that sometimes our in what we dream of our ending is is just the candy that's that's making us push towards it. But we have to always be willing to to if it's not right to not use it. Yeah, well, that's called throwing out your darlings, and I guess in this case, the darling was the carrot and the and the right. spaceship, right? Um, right, exactly. But but. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, you do. And I'm, so I would tell my students about this. You know, it is like if you start to hear voices, don't worry. That's good. <laughs> right, exactly. you, and, and it also takes away from some of the um, solitude of being a writer because you're really surrounded by this crowd. <laughs> right, exactly. That, you know, are, are pulling for what they want to say. Well, I've really enjoyed our talk, which comes as no surprise. And um, I hope we can do it again, and we'll talk about this talk, I'm sure. And I just want to mention the title of the book one more time, A Tale of Two Citizens. And thanks so much, Mona. And um, let's go and... It's been a pleasure, and the real pleasure comes from reading A Tale of Two Citizens. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Righto. Bye-bye.